Welcome to River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg. My name is Nolan Bicknell. With me as always is my co-host, Robert Zirk. On today's show, critically acclaimed actor of film and stage and Winnipeg's own, Mr. Len Carriou joins us to talk about his career from his early days as a founder of the Royal Manitoba Theatre Centre. We're going to learn about their new Founders Circle Legacy Giving campaign and Mr. Carriou's continued connection to Royal MTC. We also spoke with Cal Barteski, artist, activist, and friend of the show. She's in a new documentary called No, I'm Here that's premiering this Friday. We're going to learn all about the incredible story that's took place in Churchill, Manitoba. Then we're going to take you on another road trip. It's our new segment where we visit all sorts of archives and museums throughout Manitoba this summer, and today our road trip will take us not too far away, just over to the Naval Museum of Manitoba, where those who served in the Navy are remembered and honored. And lastly, we'll go back to Royal MTC to learn about the RMTC archives from Mr. Scott Goodine, the archivist of Manitoba. We've got all this, some great tunes, and much, much more on today's episode of River City 360. Hello and welcome to River City 360. Nolan and Robert here with you today. Robert, how are you? You look great. Thank you. Do you feel um, as good as you look? <laughs> I do. Uh, you know, it's nice. Um, summer is pretty much here. I think we we can all be in agreement. Middle of June? Yeah. Is that usually when summer? Some, you what, know. What's the official first day of summer? Is it like June 22nd or something? I think so, yeah. Huh. It's already, it's been summer for a long time. It has. As long but as it's it, had times where it hasn't quite been nearly as summery. That's true, but that's okay. But the weather's been pretty good for the for the last little bit. Indeed. So, uh yeah, you can't can't go wrong there. How are you doing? I'm I'm doing well. We have a very packed show today. This is kind of the most we've had in a long time actually. I'm pretty excited to get to it. So let's just hop right in because uh, there's a lot of wonderful guests. We've got a Tony Award winner. I think that's the first for RC360. Tony E. Award winner, Len Cariou. Mr. Cariou, of course, was in the Academy Award winning Spotlight a couple years ago. He was the very first Sweeney Todd on Broadway, and he's been he's done it all. So really excited to talk to him. Uh, he's uh, connected with RMTC and has been from the very start of his career. So we're going to talk all about his, his career and, and his connections to Winnipeg and to RMTC uh, up first on the show. We've also got, uh, a little later on, internationally acclaimed artist and friend of the show. She's been on a couple times and founder of the Polar Bear Fund, Cal Barteski. She's going to be talking about a documentary that she is in called No, I'm Here that premieres tomorrow, uh, Friday, June 15th. We've got my interview with the archivist of Manitoba, Scott Goodine, and we've got the next installment of the River City 360 road trip. I understand you and Sonny went to the uh, Naval Museum of Manitoba. How fun was that? We did. It was super interesting. Um, a lot of really cool artifacts from Manitoba's naval history. Um, we'll tell you all about those uh, in the segment. It was, uh, cool. it was really cool and definitely worth checking out. Can't wait to hear it, but we always kick things off with the show, so why don't we do that again today? Robert, what have you got for us today? Well, there's no business like show business, so we'll start off with Connie Boswell right here on River City 360. There's no business like show Like no business I know Everything about it is appealing Everything a traffic will allow Nowhere could you get that happy feeling 
When you are stealing that extra bound, there's no, no people like show people. They smile when they are low. Even with a turkey that you know will fall, you may be stranded way out there in the cold. Still, you wouldn't change it for a sack of gold. Let's go on with the show. The costumes, the scenery, the makeup, the props, the audience that lifts you when you're down. The headaches, the heartaches, the backaches, the flops, the sheriff. Who escorts you out of town? That opening night when your heart beats like a drum. The closing night when customers won't come. There's no business like show business, like no business I know. Traveling through the country will be thrilling. Standing out in front on opening night, then smile. As you watch the theater filling, and there's your billing out there in lights, where there's no people like show people. They smile, <laughs> they smile when they are low. Now yesterday they told you that you'd not. So far that night you open and there you are. Next day on your dressing room they've hung a star. So let's go on with the show. Thank you for listening to River City 360. My name is Nolan Bicknell, and I'm on location at RMTC with a very special guest. I'm speaking to Mr. Lynn Carew. He is award-winning actor of stage and screen, and today the context is because you're an honorary, the honorary chair for the Legacy Giving Campaign here at RMTC, or committee for RMTC. Thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. So... We're going to talk a little bit about you and about your career, but uh, for our listeners who may not know, what's what's your connection with RMTC and with Winnipeg in general? 
Well, I was born and raised here, and uh, I was a founding member of uh, the Manitoba Theatre Center when John Hirsch started the theater. And so it's, uh, it's a huge thing in my life. He became my mentor, John did, and, um, and I owe him a great deal and MTC a great deal because I, I worked here, uh, between here and Stratford, Ontario for, uh, well, I think John and I did 17 plays together. How have you seen the, uh, the scene in, in Winnipeg and Manitoba evolve over the years since back in 59 or whenever you got your start? Well, uh, I haven't been here, you know, all that, that often, but, but every time I, I come back, Stephen Shepard keeps me apprised of what's going on here. I, I've realized that the thing that's most, I think, wonderful is that the consistency with which people have supported this theater. You know, the size of the city being what it is, I think is one of the most remarkable achievements um, culturally in the in this country. And John, when he first got here and said, you know, we've got to start a theater because he said, you have the Royal Winnipeg Ballet. Why don't you have a professional theater? And uh, they had a good amateur theater, but uh, so it was something that, that I was aware of when, when they came to me and said, would you be the honorary chair? Um, and I jumped at the chance uh, because I had some credentials now that I could present to uh, people here that maybe didn't know me when I was growing up here and and, uh, and making my bones, as they say, because um, I had some credibility because of film and television. Uh, and and uh, and I still have a lot of family here, so uh, there's a great tie here for me emotionally, too. Let's talk a little bit about the support that Winnipeggers show for our MTC and for the arts in general. What does that make you feel like when you can come back and see like the 60 um, legacy members already joining up and, and, and projects and campaigns like this getting so much support so quickly? How does that make you feel? Incredibly proud of the people and, and, and really proud of because I was part of the first tour that went out of here uh, out of M MTC when we were in the old Dominion Theater. I'm, I'm kind of humbled by it, the fact that, and proud, proud, because we kind of laid the groundwork for it when, when we were, you know, when we were doing the initial 10 years of, of MTC. Um, and it gave such credibility to this place. And, uh, and, you know, Hirsch was one of the best directors that I've ever worked with. And I've worked with some pretty good ones. Um, and he he just uh, brought this thing to life. Uh, between he and Tom Hendry, it was a uh, it was a a labor of love, and uh, and something that they shared this idea with uh, from their from their time together at uh, University of Manitoba. So uh, it was just that kind of marriage and everything kind of came to pass, if you will. Yeah, probably a very humble beginning to, I mean, the dream realized on such a grand scale across the city is pretty incredible. Yeah, exactly. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about the Founder Circle. It's being un unveiled a little bit later today. Why is this important for the legacy of RMTC to have this group of people coming together to support it forever? 
Well, exactly, because it would be forever. Um, and it's something that, that uh, the next generation of, of uh, artistic directors and general managers of this place will have that at their disposal. It's, uh, it's like an anniversary present to John Hirsch, in a sense, and Tom Hendry, to say to them, you really found something here, and, uh, and we believed in it, and here's, here's the proof. So you talk about the next generation of performers and, and artistic directors. If you could distill down one piece of advice to the next generation of, of actors and, and performers, what would you say? Well, make sure it's burning a hole in your gut. Because if it isn't, you're going to be very disappointed because you're going to get more rejections than you're going to get acceptance. So it's something that has been age-old from day one, I guess. Uh, certainly all my life. I'm pretty much still auditioning for things. And you would think the time had come that that, uh, that they might say, yeah, well, I think he could do that. Uh, but uh, you'd be surprised. Uh, and I just it's something that's there for the next generation to, to uh, take advantage of. Um, and hopefully it takes the cream of the crop to know that about this place and say, I want to go to Royal MTC and be in that company and work on that stage with that audience. Because this audience is a really smart audience by now. I mean, we all kind of grew up together. Uh, and after the first six or seven years here, the, the base just got wider and wider. And I think now it's, I mean, you know, there's over 17,000 season ticket holders. I think in just this theater, and then there's the warehouse, um, you know. So that's that's a pretty astounding thing when there's not a million people living in this city. I think the level of sophistication and understanding for the theater has just evolved exponentially over the last few years, especially. Um, yeah, is there anything else you wanted to add? Really appreciate your time. Well, just uh, uh, I think what what uh, Stephen Shipper has done here is. Uh, close to miraculous um, and he's leaving and he's been here a long time and I think he wants a change he just needs to feel feels that he wants to change up the game a bit for himself uh, and get some challenges for him uh, but he's done an extraordinary uh, job here and uh, my god he made it the royal MTC uh, which uh, I have to have a private giggle every time I say it. <laughs> well, thank you very much for your time, Mr. Len Carriou, Honorary Chair of the Legacy Giving Campaign Committee here at RMTC. Really appreciate your time. You're welcome. Thanks. Thanks, Nolan, and thanks again to Mr. Len Carriou for speaking with us today. Coming up next, we have an updated story from just about exactly a year ago. Cal Barteski will be joining us via telephone to talk to us about her journey to Churchill with 18 artists that started over a year ago, and it's culminating this Friday with a documentary about their experience called No I'm Here. Before we get to that, though, here are the Drifters with Up on the Roof, right here on River City 360. When this old world starts getting me down And people not just too much And all my cares just drift 
listening to River City 360. My name is Nolan Bicknell, and we are now joined via telephone by Cal Barteski. She is an artist, uh, advocate, founder of the Polar Bear Fund, and now star of a new documentary, No, I'm Here, about her experience <laughs> in Churchill, Manitoba last year uh, do, during the Seawalls Churchill Project. Cal, thank you for joining us again. Thank you for having me, Nolan. I would also like to point out that I am definitely not the star. I, I, I'm gonna. T- that, that was me <laughs> taking liberties with that one for sure. But I mean, uh, you are one of the 18 artists who traveled up to Churchill to paint murals and uh, other public art displays. Uh, originally in the name of Ocean Conservation for the Seawalls Churchill Project. Um, so, And I was actually just listening to our last interview, which was almost a year ago to the day. So I, my first question to you is, how has your year been? What have you been up to the past year? Wow, my year has been incredible. And if we are going to start exactly a year ago, when we spoke, I was getting ready to go to Churchill with 18 artists friends for a festival called Seawalls Churchill, which was intended to focus on ocean conservation and sort of the needs of the environment in northern Manitoba. But what happened, which is so exciting, um, was that the rail was flooded. That's not the exciting part. That was the tragic part. So right before we left, all of our supplies were going to go up on the train. Um, Scaffolding, lifts, paint, um, food, all of the things that we might need, brushes, ladders, all of that. And the train derailed and there was no train service. So we had to almost start over and figure out what can we get away with, what was the minimum, what was mandatory, what what was really essential. And we ended up taking next to nothing. Um, we contemplated canceling the festival. Wow. But 
we had all of these artists coming and we would have nothing for them to do in Winnipeg. So we decided that we would go anyway, bring what we could, borrow what we had to, and just do what we could. Just just see if there was anything we could even do. And what happened was when we got there, the town was so happy. They really embraced us. Um, we learned a lot about the rail. We ran into some guys that had been riding their motorcycles on the rail. We really were part of this, you know, essential occurrence in this town. And we just got submerged into into their really tough time. You mentioned in the inspirational power of art. And obviously there's probably a lot of hope brought to a potentially hopeless situation. How are the people of Churchill doing now? Have you kind of kept in touch and seen what the situation is up there? Yeah, I've definitely kept in touch. I've made many visits this year. Um, and over the course of the year, I would say that the the attitude, the, the kind of vibe, if you will, in Churchill was just sort of getting darker and darker and darker. Why is nobody doing anything? Why doesn't mm. anyone care? And it was extremely frustrating. It is just as hard to get supplies up there now as it was before. And, and one of the things that was really interesting is that just before we got to Churchill, there was some serious um, planning meetings where we, we didn't know if there would be enough food. There were possible situations where we might run out of fuel for the vehicles. There were possible situations of all kinds. So we brought up food. We brought up you know, snacks and drinks and all of the things. And we didn't end up eating all of them, but we left them there for other people. So, like, over the course of the year, things have not gotten easier. People have had to leave the town. The attendance at the elementary school or at the school is down by 30%. Oh, my. People have to leave. There's, there's It's dire. It's desperate. So just recently, there was um, a real sign of hope that there may be an agreement brewing to take over the tracks in the port. And, and that would be just an incredible thing. What are you hoping Winnipeggers take away and Canadians? And I mean, hopefully this goes international and their story can be heard all across the world. Um, the Winnipeg screening is happening on Friday, June 15th. But what are, you, what are you hoping people take away that maybe haven't been to Churchill or, or would like to go someday? Well, there's several things I think are important messages. But um, the most important one is most of the time we don't think we can do anything to help. But if you just show up, if you just show up willing to you know, do something, that does something. And, and that was the really cool part. We didn't know if we'd be able to do anything. And we're just artists. We're not politicians. We're not decision makers. We're not, we're not anybody with influence or power. And we showed up, and that made a difference to them and to us. But I feel like just show up. That's, that's, the, that's the grand moral of the story. You can change things. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even the title of the documentary, No, I'm Here, it's just about acknowledging people that are in trouble, that could use some help, and that we as Canadians should should give a damn, and we should want everyone to, to have a good life and to be have access to everything that we have access to. And to be valued. And I want to tell you one quick funny story about the, the No, I'm Here. So that the inspiration for the title of the film came from the largest mural in, in the group of murals. So there is a very old, abandoned U.S. Uh, naval base that's right on the main road when you come to Churchill. And it's this massive structure, 300, 350, 400 feet long. It's just this humongous metal-clad, corrugated structure that's been abandoned for 50 years. 
um, and it's a very odd kind of ominous structure. And we gave that building to an incredible young woman. Her name is Georgia Hill. She's from Australia. Um, And she does sort of striking typographic pieces. And she attacked that building all by herself. I think she's 25 years old um, with a questionable lift and just a heart of gold. And so the design she came up with said, no, I'm here. And in the beginning, a lot of people from the town were like, but what? Why does it say that? What is happening here? Like, we don't mm-hmm. understand this. We're not sure about this. And now they're using it as their slogan. It's the title of the film, but they also wow. have shirts for their rallies. And they really engage with that piece and really come to understand that Georgia saw something, you know, bigger picture that maybe you couldn't see inside the forest, whatever, the forest yeah. or the trees thing. But uh, they they have really taken ownership of that mural and it really resonates with them. And that was the other cool part is that um, these artists engaged, you know, gave something of themselves and then kind of left. But the people um, really just really rose to this challenge of loving the art, promoting the art, celebrating the art, and now really taking ownership for this, this art. And I feel really proud of everybody involved. Well, as you should, it speaks to the power of the artist. And, you know, you, you mentioned we're, you know, we're not politicians, we're not people with power, but I think in a way artists are, you know, they, they have the power to inspire and the power to move people to action and the power to raise awareness. So I, I mean, all of the above is, is true power and uh, congratulations for everything you've done. Uh, where can people find tickets? I understand this is happening Friday, June 15th, the Canadian Museum for Human Rights. Where can people find more information? They can find more information at handcraftcreative.com backslash no-I'm-here. So just go to handcraftcreative.com. Cool. And that'll lead you to the trailer. It'll lead you to ticket sales. You can learn more. Um, I, Like I said, I do not make this film. I'm not, uh, I'm not the filmmaker. I'm just really proud of what the filmmakers have done. And I feel sure. really that they have validated a beautiful story. And I do think that it will be on Bell MTS later this month That's and right. possibly CBC later in the summer. So if you can't make it to the screening, there there might be a few more opportunities. Well, it's a great story. Thank you for telling it. And thank you for talking to us today. We always appreciate your time and, and love talking to you. Thank you, Nolan. Thanks, Cal. Cal Barteski, artist, advocate, founder of the Polar Bear Fund, and one of the people in the new documentary, No I'm Thank Here, <laughs> which is taking place uh, Friday, June 15th at the Canadian Museum for Human Rights. Uh, go to handcraftcreative.com slash no-I'm-here. Cal, thanks so much again. Thank you. Thanks, Nolan, and thanks again to Cal Barteski for returning to the program. Coming up next is this week's River City 360 road trip, and this time we didn't have to venture too, too far from the RC360 studios to visit the Naval Museum of Manitoba. We spoke with Claude Rivard, the curator of the museum, and he shared some amazing stories from our country's naval history. He showed us a, a very amazing collection filled with model ships, actual World War II rations, and the pom-pom. What's the pom-pom? We'll find out after the break, but before we get to that, here is Ed Bickert with Street of Dreams right here on River City 360.
Welcome to the River City 360 Road Trip. This week's destination is the Naval Museum of Manitoba. Let's take a look around. Welcome to River City 360. We're here on a road trip to the Naval Museum of Manitoba, and I'm here with Claude Rivard. Claude, thank you so much for, uh, for joining us and for the tour today. It's my pleasure. So we're going to take a look at some of the uh, some of the interesting historical artifacts and and models and displays that are here at the museum. But I'm wondering if you can set the stage for us a little bit and tell us a little bit about the history of the Naval Museum of Manitoba and and why it's so important to the province. The Naval Museum of Manitoba actually came into existence in. Uh, uh, 1980 at the 75th anniversary of the Royal Canadian Navy where a lot of sailors actually had a big reunion here. These people wanted to uh, know what they could do with their artifacts and stuff they had during the naval uh, or the Battle of the Atlantic and when they served on board these ships. So the commanding officer of the day, uh, Commander Chris Thane and Petty Officer Shortridge ended up uh, establishing the Naval Museum of Manitoba uh, and establish our prime mandate which is to preserve the, na uh, the history of the Navy as it relates to Manitoba and this Naval Reserve Unit at HMCS Chippewa. So tell us a little bit about what we're seeing here, because we've got some some really cool model replicas of some of the some of the ships here, and also uh, some of the I understand the actual bells that came from some of the ships. Tell us a little bit about what we're seeing here. Well, the models that you see here basically depict a model of the ship named after a town, river, or First Nations in Manitoba. As an example, uh, HMCS Assiniboine 1 and HMCS Assiniboine 2, named obviously after the Assiniboine River. Uh, the size of the ships that we see here start from a 105-foot towing vessel, HMCS Darewood, uh, right on up to HMCS Winnipeg, which is about 440 feet. The bells that you see on display here primarily are from the ships as much as we can obtain the original bells. Uh, there are some traditions that go along with the bells too, including the fact that if you're a serving crew member on board a Canadian naval vessel or a Commonwealth, uh, and I believe they do it in the United States Navy too, is that uh, serving crew members' children can be baptized or christened on board the ship. What they do is they take the bell and invert it and use it as a baptismal font, and that child's name is then engraved on the bell. So it's pretty much there for a long time. As we walked through the museum, we saw cap tallies that were sent in from different ships, uniforms, and a model of a naval radio station in Churchill. The building is still standing today, even though it was technically closed in 1968. It survived the base itself, because the base was closed in 1983. But the building is still up there, and uh, it's about halfway between the town and the airport. So what was the broadcast range of that station? Well, it basically wasn't really so much for broadcasting as it was for listening. Ah. It actually had quite an antenna array, and what they did is they picked 
picked up on a lot of communications that were coming out of Russia and some uh, Iron Curtain countries. The technology was changing so fast in those days that by 1968, it really wasn't needed anymore. We then moved on to an area dedicated to the convoy system. Claude explained that it was instrumental in helping get supplies to Great Britain, as 600 tons a day of food and munitions were needed. What you see here on display is the submarine, which was the Hunter, and then the Three Island Tramp Steamer, which was the Hunted, and then we have the uh, escort vessel, which is up at the top, which is a flower-class corvette. We have some weapons here. Uh, we have water-cooled 50-caliber machine guns, air-cooled 50 caliber machine guns. Ours were primarily water-cooled on board ship, and they were usually mounted in pairs. The other weapon that you see in here on the deck, it's called a two-pounder is its true name, but uh, fondly remembered by a lot of the people who served on corvettes. They were fondly called a pom-pom, and the pom-pom essentially, when they came around and they got the nickname that way because of the cone on the end of the barrel, which would deliver an echo every time it was fired, it would go boom, boom, boom. And then we have a Carly float, which is, I guess for lack of a better term, a very glorified life raft. Yeah. And we can see some World War II rations inside there. Oh yes, my favorite. A lot of sugar, a lot of chocolate, very high energy. We also saw models of motor torpedo boats that served in the English Channel during the war. The uh, 29th Motor Flotilla was comprised of little motor torpedo boats that were 72 feet in length, uh, carried two torpedo tubes, 40 millimeter mounts as weapons, and their prime function was to lay in wait in the English Channel uh, off the coast of France at night for enemy uh, in sailings, uh, whether it was e-boats, destroyers. Soon as they would hear them, they would start their engines up and they would go after these guys. It was hit and miss. Unfortunately, the 29th Motor Flotilla came to uh, an abrupt end in Ostend, Belgium. Uh, they were refueling to go out for the evening for their evening fun with the enemy when uh, somebody threw a match over the side and uh, literally the harbor in Ostend went up in flames. And uh, there was only one boat that actually did survive. The museum also includes a section dedicated to the Women's Royal Canadian Naval Service, or the Wrens. The establishment of the Wrens came about in 1942 as a relief for the men that were doing administrative jobs. Women didn't go and fight wars in those days like they do today. So basically the Wrens were incorporated into taking over a lot of those uh, uh, administrative positions after the war up until 1968 when they amalgamated the, uh, the Wrens as part of the regular contingent of Canadian forces. As our tour wound down, I asked Claude about how the Naval Museum of Manitoba operates and how visitors can check out the museum for themselves. Strictly volunteers. Uh, we don't have no paid staff in here. We're only open on Wednesdays from 9 till 3. With the exception of summer, we're open in July and August on Sundays from 1 till 4. And we have our website that if somebody can't make it within those hours but is going to be in town and they want to request a visit to the museum, we will make an appointment to come and open a museum for them to see. We have people coming in here through the summer all the time, so it's, it's not something that we don't do. My prime factor is just to get this known to pretty much every place in Canada. I mean, we're one of five naval museums across the country. So, And the Naval Museum of Manitoba is located at One Navy Way at the corner of Navy Way and Assiniboine Avenue at the foot of the Midtown Bridge. As you're coming and you're going north on Smith Street, you will have a look over on your right-hand side and see a big 
Beige Stone Building. That's HMCS Chippewa, the Naval Reserve Unit, and we are part of that unit in here. So welcome. Come in and pay us a visit. There's no admission charge. It's free, but we are glad to accept any kind of donation you want to leave behind. Thank you so much, Claude, for speaking with us today and for showing us all these incredible collections here from Manitoba's naval history. It is my pleasure. Thanks for coming on the RC360 Road Trip. See you next week, same time, different place. Thanks, Robert. Love the RC360 Road Trip. Can't wait to see where we're going next week. Up next... Stacey Cardigan-Smith of the Winnipeg Foundation is on her way into the studio to tell us about the upcoming Working Together magazine. It just came out last week, and uh, we're going to learn all about some of the behind-the-scenes stuff and what goes into making a such a huge production and such a huge uh, publication.
Welcome back to River City 360. Robert Zirk here with you today, and I am now joined by Stacy Cardigan-Smith. She is publications editor at the Winnipeg Foundation, occasional contributor to the show as well. Stacy, thank you so much for speaking with me today. It's always a pleasure. Thanks, Rob. So we're here to talk about the Winnipeg Foundation's most recent uh, edition of its Working Together magazine. It's jam-packed with a lot of really wonderful stories, but I'm wondering if you can give our listeners kind of an overview for those who maybe aren't familiar with Working Together. What's it all about? What can people find inside? Working Together is, I guess the whole idea of it is to be an inspirational piece so that people can see not only the incredible charities that are working hard to make our community a better place, but also the generous donors that are basically helping to make that possible by making gifts to the Winnipeg Foundation. And then, of course, we also tell stories just in general about some of the foundation's other activities, things like producing reports, looking at the charitable sector, all that kind of fun stuff. So we produce the magazine three times a year. And if anybody wants a copy, it's pretty much open. You just have to give us a call here at the Winnipeg Foundation. Fantastic. And on the cover, we have uh, Wildlife Haven Rehabilitation Center. Wildlife Haven recently has been, um, they've been working on their brand new education and rehab center. And I think the education component is huge for them because uh, that's a big part of their mandate is to allow people to understand how to ensure that wildlife remains wild, right? So on the cover of the Working Together magazine, we have Tiffany, who is one of their staff people there, and she's holding Avro, which is a Swainson's hawk. Unfortunately, uh, Avro was injured and lost one of her eyes. So now, in order to help people understand um, the importance of keeping wildlife wild, they have what they call education ambassadors. So Avro is an education ambassador. They have a few other education ambassadors. It's a great facility. They do amazing work, and they should be moved in there pretty soon. And once that's all up and running, I know they've got some amazing ideas for education campaigns and experiences for young people, for example. They can go out to the actual space and learn about wildlife. There's a lot of other great stories as well. And you mentioned stories about generous donors. Can you tell us about some of the donors that are featured in the magazine, this issue? One of the donor, well, a donor couple that I got to meet, Carrie and Dave Yearheart. They are quite the couple, so committed and passionate. It's always interesting. I love about my job is I get to just ask people about what makes them decide to be generous and give back to their community. What makes them become community minded? And for Dave and Carrie, it's something that you wouldn't necessarily expect. It was pancakes what so yes it's kind of a kind of a quirky story but it's very sweet so Dave and Carrie one morning they it was cold outside they went to the bus stop and nobody was standing inside the heated bus stop everybody was you know what it's like in the middle of winter it's freezing but nobody was in there the reason was because there was a gentleman sleeping in there so Dave went in and said you know um, excuse me, sir, it's 7.45 in the morning. It's time to get up and everybody's waiting to get into the bus shack. And the guy kind of wakes up slowly and they're ch- chatting a little bit. Dave and Carrie are chatting with this gentleman. And then he says, wait, what time What time did you say it was? And he's like, oh, it's, well, it's about 7.45. Oh my goodness, it's 7.45. It's Wednesday, it's pancake day. So he gets up and he like basically sprints out of this bus shack. And before he goes, he says to Dave and Carrie, thank you so much for waking me up. This is the only day I get to have pancakes. And so he was going to a nearby shelter where they had pancake day on Wednesdays. And so for Carrie, especially, she was really struck by that because for her, like, 
She can make pancakes anytime she wants. You can have pancakes for breakfast, lunch, dinner, two in the morning. No big deal. It's something most people don't really think about. We take it for granted, right? So, and that's kind of like the crux of their their whole thought process is we have everything we need and we're so lucky. Like if, if we can help other people experience even a fraction of what we have, why not? So it's a lovely story. I mean, that's only part of it. I I recommend people contact us for a copy of the magazine. I'd love to send you one. Give us a call at the foundation, 204-944-9474. And you can just uh, ask for a copy of the magazine and they will get your information and send it out to you. You can also just go onto our website. It's a great place to look at it. It's at wpgfdn.org. Or you can send me an email if you have any questions. Uh, It's smith at wpgfdn.org. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much, Stacey Cardigan-Smith, Publications Editor at the Winnipeg Foundation, for joining us today and telling us all about uh, some of the stories in working together. Thank you. Thanks, Robert. Coming up next, we're going to go back to RMTC to learn about thousands of archives that have recently been made available to the public, so stay tuned for that. But before we get to that, here's Mr. Mel Torme with The Day You Came Along, right here on RC360. My heart went leaping the day you came along Forgot the weeping the day you came along Before I knew it, I hummed a little song The day you came along I only drifted before you came along The fog was lifted Because you came along I sent the blackbirds Right back where they belong The day you came along Men have conquered nations Other men have set them free Pioneers have crossed the sea You can turn the pages through the ages, but to me, t'was the most eventful day in history. Two souls were mated the day you came along, a world created the day you came along. One glance convinced me I knew I wasn't wrong The day you came Set them free 
pioneers have crossed the sea. You can turn the pages through the ages, but to me, twas the most eventful day in history. Convinced me I knew I wasn't wrong The day you came Thank you for listening to River City 360. My name is Nolan Bicknell. I'm on location at RMTC, and I'm speaking with Mr. Scott Goodine. He's the archivist of Manitoba. Scott, thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me. So we're going to be talking a little bit about a cool project. Uh, we'll call it the RMTC Archives Project. Uh, for our listeners who uh, are unaware of this project, just give us sort of a, lay, uh, a, a basic description of what it's all about. Well, the, managed, uh, the Manitoba Theatre Centre started depositing records at the Archives of Manitoba in 1979. Uh, but a lot of the records were restricted and many of them were in backlog for years, so they weren't accessible to the public. In 2015, uh, the Royal Manitoba Theatre Centre hired an archivist for a three-year term to work on the records at the theatre. Uh, her name is Mary Horadiski and she's a graduate of the University of Manitoba's Archival Studies Program. Uh, the theatre also wanted to formally donate the records. Um, some of these records were already at the Archives of Manitoba and some are here at the Theatre Centre and are still to come and lift as many as restrictions as possible to make them open for research to the public. Uh, the Archives of Manitoba took the opportunity to work on these records already at the Archives, rehousing records, relisting, working on backlog records and getting all the records into our online database, including records donated by the Theatre this year. So the RMTC Theatre Fonds now consists of 37 meters of textual records, 14,500 photographs, 650 drawings, 300 posters, 217 scrapbooks, and some sound recordings. So it's actually a very large archival collection. That's massive by the sounds of it. How do you approach all of that information, all that data? Where do you start? Like, what's the process like? Well, the process is going through box by box and arranging the records and making sure uh, that they're in the order that they should be. Um, we respect provenance. We re In our archival field, we call it respect the fond. We try and keep the records as they were used, as they were created. Um, but it can be a lot of work, especially for a theater uh, such as this, the records can become quite a mess over time. But my understanding is they were actually in fairly good shape here. So. Yeah, I feel like a lot of times the creative mind isn't necessarily the most organized mind, so that can make sense. Uh, you t you, so you mentioned some, some sound. Give me an example of what types of things that all these archives are going to consist of. I know you mentioned it briefly, but what are some, so, like, give me some concrete examples of what specifically uh, is going to be a part of this collection. Well, there's, uh, I mean, really, this collection is the whole history of MTC, so it's kind of everything. It's the set designs, it's 
is the publicity materials, it is marketing. I mean, it can go on and on and on, and you probably need one of the archivists who worked on it to give you a more detailed uh, assessment than that. So as the archivist of Manitoba, um, I, I'd like to hear your perspective on the importance of maintaining history and, and talking about um, keeping our history alive as Manitobans. Why, why is this something that the average Manitoban should care about and should, and should uh, appreciate? Well, uh, in Canada, we have what we call total archives, and that is we have the records of government bodies, such as the government of Manitoba. So we house all the records of the province of Manitoba that are deemed archivally valuable. And we also house private archives, records of groups of arms length organizations like the MTC, individuals. And by doing this, it allows Manitobans to come in and do research. And they can do research that write, to write books, to do family history, to do uh, legal history. Uh, for a lot of this material, I suspect it will be used by the theater community to uh, do other projects, to look back on projects that were once done. Uh, we anticipate this will be quite a heavily used collection. So what, what sorts of... Um what projects are people going to be using these archives to, to inform? Well, they could use them for, for almost anything. They can use them uh, to write a history of MTC, is the most obvious one. Uh, but they could use these uh, materials relating to specific plays to redo that play, to change the play, to use for different, uh, different ways of using the material and different artistic outlooks for whatever material we have. Um, they, it's really, with archives, it's almost impossible. Every day... Well, almost every day, someone walks in uh, doing stuff that we never imagined someone would want to do. So uh, we'll let the future decide what they'll use it for. Sure. And will what will be on display for the public to see? Is there going to be old scripts and stuff? Or what will the uh, public actually have access to, if, if anything at all? Oh, well, the public will have access to almost the totality of the collection. They need to come into the Archives of Manitoba at 200 Vaughan, and we're open Monday to Friday from 9 to 4. Uh, but the public has access to that. For what's on display, there will be some material on display here at the Royal Manitoba Theatre Centre. Our, our current display at the Archives relates to the World War I material we have. So there is some material on display here, uh, but the vast, vast majority will be at 200 Vaughan and will be available for research. Very cool. So if you've got, if you're a history buff or if you're a theater buff, all of the above, it's going to be uh, really interesting to take a look at these archives. I really want, uh, want to thank you for your time. Scott Goodine is the Archivist of Manitoba. I appreciate uh, talking to you today. Sure. Thank you very much. And just one thing I would like is to really congratulate uh, the Manitoba Theater Center for doing this. It took a lot of effort for them to do this. It took a lot of money for them to do this. And the fact that they've donated the material to the province of Manitoba is exceptional. Many groups do not like to lose control of their records. And these records have now, or will in about one hour when we sign the deed, will become pr the property of the government of Manitoba. And the good part of that is the government of Manitoba will take on control of the records, including preservation, for perpetuity. So the records will be with us forever. Very cool. Thanks, Scott. Yep. Thank you very much, Nolan. That's a wrap on this week's episode of River City 360. Thank you so much for tuning in today, and a huge thank you to all of our guests for talking to us as well. If you'd like to hear more views and news from around Winnipeg, listen to any of our past episodes, or subscribe to our podcast, please visit us at rivercity360.org. River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg, is a project of the Winnipeg Foundation in partnership with CJNU 93.7 FM. And we'd love to hear your feedback about the program. Please give us a call. Our number is 204-944-9474, extension 360. You can leave us a message 24-7. Uh, if there's any feedback you have about the show, if you'd like to request a song, 
or even perhaps suggest our next museum or archive for the RC360 road trip. Let us know where we should go next. Again, the number is 204-944-9474, extension 360. You can also find us on Twitter and Facebook if that's the way you'd prefer to contact us by searching at RiverCity360 on Twitter and RiverCity360 on Facebook as well. I'm Nolan Bicknell, signing off for RiverCity360. And I'm Robert Zirk. Thank you again so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Have a great day and a great weekend.